0: Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18a, these are God's words. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be upon your own heads. "'I am clean. "'From now on I will go to the Gentiles.' And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue.' Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. So far, the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. So Paul has been driven uh, from one place to another. Uh, pretty much this entire Uh, missionary journey he uh, had difficulty uh, getting to preach anywhere he gets to Philippi uh, and he's imprisoned uh, and the Lord marvelously gloriously starts a church basically with one woman from the Riverside the jailers family uh, and those who heard and were converted in the prison But he uh, still has to leave the city. He's driven from Thessalonica. He's driven from Berea. And when he's driven from Berea, Silas and Timothy stay back in Berea. And he's waiting for them uh, in Athens. Uh, And yet the idolatry in Athens... Uh, is so great that he's provoked in his spirit. Then he starts evangelizing, and as a result, he's brought to the Areopagus uh, and he preaches uh, the gospel there. Uh, and uh, he's basically laughed off the stage uh, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. So, verse 32. Uh, Paul is not necessarily uh, done, but uh, at that point, some mocked, others say, we'll hear you again, uh, meaning your turn is over, but we'll stick in the rotation. And Paul departs from them, having been laughed off the stage, and a few join him. That brings us to this passage. Uh, He departs from Athens. Uh, and he goes to Corinth. He leaves the region of Macedonia. Corinth is in uh, the region of Achaia. He's still waiting for Silas and Timothy, who aren't going to appear until verse 5. And he goes back into waiting mode. You remember he was in waiting mode in Athens uh, before the sight of the idols provoked him in his spirit. Uh, And he goes back to his old trade. Uh, He attends uh, the synagogue on Sabbath, uh, and he reasons and dialogues with both Jews and Greeks I know um our text translates that word uh persuades really it's uh uh dialogues but what he's doing every day is he's gone back to his old tent making trade he finds a Jew named Aquila born in Pontus mm-hmm and his wife, Priscilla. Uh, They've been expelled from Rome by Claudius, uh, and they're tent makers, and he's a tent maker, so they make tents together all day. Uh, They must have got a good education uh, in Christ, uh, because they are going to uh, be uh, helping Apollos out later but he's uh, making tents all day and just attending synagogue, not having um, congregational Christian worship, not planting a church, uh, just dialoguing with whoever's there. Something happens when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia uh, and we see the uh, revival of the minister's zeal for evangelism. It's a little bit like uh, when Peter is in kind of waiting mode, not sure what to do with himself, and he wasn't a tent maker. What had he been? He'd been a fisherman. So you remember, towards the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing, and everybody goes with him. And they fish all night, and they catch nothing, uh, which reminds us, and certainly would have reminded them, of when they had done so, the last time they went fishing. They had fished all night and caught nothing, and you remember the Lord Jesus uh, gave them instruction, uh, and uh, they caught many fish, and he said he would make them fishers of men. Uh, Well, they fish all night, they catch nothing, Uh, and then someone from the shore yells yells at them to cast their nets over the other side of the boat. And they do, and the boats are sinking, and John tells Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter no longer needs boats or fish or net or anything. He lets everyone else uh, deal with the uh, sinking boats, (laughs) and he dives into the water. Uh, with all his clothes on, and swims to the shore, and the Lord Jesus uh, has his very patient restoration of Peter and redirection uh, of Peter's faith to Himself, and it's a marvelous passage. Uh, well, here we don't have any real indication that uh, that Paul is down spiritually or feeling dejected, or uh, he's just in waiting mode. But we do have indication that there is significant renewal uh, of his evangelistic zeal and sustaining of his ministry. Uh, and the Lord gives us uh, three particular ways in which he did that. Uh, in verse 5, he roused the minister's spirit, roused the apostle's spirit, uh, in verses six through eleven, he reinforced um, the minister's doctrine, uh, and in verses twelve through eighteen, he restrained the minister's opponents. In verses in verse five, he re- he rouses a minister's spirit. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. His spirit was pressed together uh, by the Holy Spirit. He was uh, constrained, pushed, squeezed. He could no longer um, hold back from testifying to the Jews uh, that Jesus is the Christ. So this dialoguing in verse 4 Uh, is replaced in verse 5 by this solemn testimony before it had been in conversation just uh, kind of explaining to them that uh, the Christ couldn't just be the son of David he had to be the son of God Uh, that the Lord Yahweh himself uh, had knocked um, uh, Paul down and uh, revealed himself in uh, on the way to Damascus, and that when uh, Paul cried out to the Lord who was appearing to him uh, in this vision, uh, the way, uh, you know, similarly to how he had appeared to God's people at different times and different ways uh, in visions uh, and various uh, theophanies or christophanies in the Old Testament that uh, Paul had asked him, Who are you, Lord? And the answer was, I am Jesus. That I am can be I am that I am, and I am can be I am Jesus. And so, Jesus is the Christ. That Christ is not just the Son of David, he is Yahweh. Uh, as uh, they sang themselves uh, in Psalm uh, One ten Yahweh said to my Lord, uh, and Jesus, when he is proclaiming his divinity to the Jews who refused to accept his divinity, uh, ask them how can David call him his Lord, who is his son? When uh, Jesus, of course, saying, before Abraham was, I am. So there's all sorts of truth about uh, God himself, God the Son. Uh, being uh, the one who had to be the Christ. Uh, And uh, he had been reasoning, he'd been dialoguing with Jews and Greeks up through the end of verse 4 in the um, synagogue every Sabbath. But now he is solemnly testifying. Um, Paul, compelled by the Spirit, testifies to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So the spirit compels him, constrains him, presses on him. Uh, ministers are weak. and They can grow weary. But when the Lord is about to sustain a ministry, he rouses the minister's spirit. Uh, and there's probably an instrumentality to Silas and Timothy here. Uh, that the arrival of these brethren in the providence of God and their encouragement to him in the faith uh, are Instrumental means in this particular case by which uh, the Lord uh, rouses Paul's spirit. We too uh, need our uh, selves roused, compelled, pressed by the Holy Spirit to to do with joy and zeal what is our calling in this life. Now, when there's much that belongs to our calling, uh, for each of you a calling as a child. A calling as a human, a calling as a member of the church, a uh, calling as one who is bound to uh, to God through Christ. Uh, so much of what you do every day is um, is determined by those callings. You know, your your private worship uh, is determined by being a creature made in God's image and uh, one who is joined to God through Jesus Christ. Um, you know, when you uh, honor and obey uh, your mom, when you learn uh, and seek to grow in wisdom, uh, when you eat uh, and drink, hopefully uh, healthily, and when you exercise, seeking to grow in stature uh, because God has made you in such a way as to grow in wisdom and in stature. Uh, And then in these worship times, in the private worship times, in the Lord's Day, growing in favor with God, Uh, and also that your progress is evident uh, even to men, uh, and favor with men. Uh, We can grow weary in all of these things, but God sustains us in our callings, uh, in part by applying pressure to our spirits. Now, he does that first and foremost through fellowship with him. Uh, and so those worship times uh, are not just things that we ought to do, but they ought to be things that uh, the Lord uses to reinvigorate us for all the rest of our callings uh, in our life. Uh, but another instrument that God uses is of course uh, our brothers and sisters. When we are able to gather together, uh, he had not had Uh, congregation to gather with for some time like you do. And so it was a great help to him when Silas and Timothy came. You are to help the rest of the congregation and be helped by them. You have a divinely appointed Christian reunion uh, every Lord's Day in which we stir one another up to love and good works and look to the Lord to bless uh, are especially the fellowship of worship, especially the fellowship of the Hebrews 10:19 to 25 assembly uh, to make us useful to one another in applying pressure to one another's spirits. So that's rousing a minister's spirit, or rousing the apostle's spirit. Um, the Lord also reinforced the apostle's doctrine, verses 6 through 11. They oppose him and blaspheme. So he's saying Jesus is the Christ. And their response again is to oppose and blaspheme. Oh, I didn't put the cross reference. I'll, it'll be in the notes for the sermon on the Lord's Day. But this is the second time when he's, uh, that we've been given where he's telling Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, we understand in compressed form, he is uh, reasoning with them that Jesus is God, who is the Christ, that the son of David turned out to be the son of God, as he's declared to be with power, when he takes his own life up again, uh, as he says he will in the Gospel of John, or when he is raised from the dead by the Spirit, uh, as the scriptures say in Romans chapter 1, or when he's raised from the dead uh, by the Father, uh, as uh, Romans chapter 10 says. And of course you say, well, which one raised him from the dead? Was it himself, or was it the Father, or was it the Spirit? And the answer, of course, is yes, because it's God. God is triune. Uh, and so, um, as Paul uh is telling them that Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, verse 5, their response in opposing is blasphemy. Well, why is it blasphemy? Well, it's because in his preaching of Jesus as the Christ, he's preaching Jesus as God. Uh, and so, uh, so the Jews' response uh, is um, not just opposition then, which is bad enough, Uh, but blasphemy. Uh, So this part of his doctrine, the reminder of how necessary it is uh, that everyone know God who has revealed himself ultimately, finally in Jesus, uh, as uh, Hebrews chapter 1 says. Um, Now this should be a help to ministers. Uh, We, sadly, uh, are so weak and weary and foolish and so much remaining flesh that sometimes when we are opposed, uh, it discourages us. That is not the effect that it has on the Apostle Paul here. When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean.'" From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, so he remembers that the announcement of Jesus Christ uh, is uh, one to which the response uh, is uh, one of life and death, uh, the eternal and ultimate stakes that are involved, um, that souls are perishing without the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so there's an urgency uh there that the Lord uses to reinvigorate to sustain uh his uh his ministry, uh, but not just the urgency of their blood uh which is now upon uh their own heads, but also the urgency of his calling when he says, "I am clean you you remember that uh when the Lord addresses Ezekiel as the watchman. He says, you have to tell them. If you fail to tell them and they don't repent, I will demand their blood at your hands. But if you tell them and they still don't repent, they will be guilty of their own blood, but your hands will be clean. Uh, and certainly the apostle has this on his mind when he we see him in a couple chapters talking uh, to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. He's going to say, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Uh, for I have not withheld uh, from you anything profitable. I have declared to you the whole counsel of God in public and uh, to house to house, from house to house. Uh, so he is reminded of the great doctrine of Jesus as God the Savior, and he's reminded of the eternal and ultimate stakes that are involved, and he's reminded of the obligation that God has placed upon him, uh, and the guilt that he would incur if he did not preach the gospel in his calling. He's reminded of the covenantal progression and expansion that is taking place in the gospel age when he says, from now on I will go to the Gentiles. This is one of the features of the gospel, even uh, in that kind of thesis statement that we had in Romans 1. Uh, In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, that the Jews were meant to be a people through whom the Christ came, the oracles of God were preserved, uh, and then the gospel, which saved among the Jews, would save among the nations. Uh, And there is an obligation now, to take that gospel to the nations. And an expectation that God who planned to gather into his church from all the nations is now going to do that. Uh, and so there's there is uh, uh, there's not so much a frustration with them as uh, uh, as uh, a solemn testifying against them, uh, but there is also, in addition to that, there, there's not only... Uh, that grief over them, maybe a better term, um, uh, about them perishing in their own blood. But there is an expectation that there are those whom the Lord will save. And then there is the doctrine of the presence of the Lord with the minister. He departs, he enters the house of uh, of justice uh, or, or Eustace, who's right next to the uh, door to the synagogue, He'd been reasoning in the synagogue even before Silas and Timothy came. He had been preaching, solemnly testifying, since Silas and Timothy came. And it hadn't produced any fruit, apparently. There's no indication that he had a single convert from the synagogue while he was in the synagogue. And so... He, he enters the house of, of Eustace, who's a God-fearer, um, uh, and uh, perhaps this indicates that Eustace was converted, but it's at that point God saves not just somebody from the synagogue, he saves the ruler of the synagogue, uh, who apparently gets displaced, a synagogue ruler, because uh, his successor uh, ends up... Uh, Uh, being part of this delegation that accuses him uh, and gets himself beaten away uh, uh, in front of the judgment seat. So there's the providence of God, the reminder that God is saving, that Jesus Christ is God who is manifested in the flesh, seen by angels or messengers. Uh, Paul is one of those messengers Proclaimed among the nations, here he is proclaiming him among the nations. Believed, uh, justified by the by the Spirit. So when the Spirit raises him from the dead, he testifies, vindicates him with power uh, as the Son of God. Uh, proclaimed, uh, uh, seen by messengers. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and that this. Uh, being proclaimed and believed on is a reminder that Jesus is on the throne. He has been received up into glory, that wonderful confession, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. And so this providential saving would be a reminder. Jesus is sitting on the throne of glory. And many of the Corinthians now are hearing and believing and being baptized. And with every one of those baptisms, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because Jesus, who said he would be with them always in the authority that he has, both on heaven to pour out the Spirit, and on earth by his Spirit, whom he pours, is the one who is making disciples through their preaching, and through their baptizing, and through their teaching. Uh, And so he has this wonderful, repeated experience of knowing that Christ is sitting on the throne. And then, verse 9, the Christ who sits on the throne himself appears to him again. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. so he gives him the three commands. Uh, Not to be afraid. uh, Something not to do with his heart. But speak, something that he must do with his mouth. Do not keep silent, something that he mustn't do with his mouth. Uh, And he gives him the three reasons. His presence, for I am with you his providence. No one will attack you to hurt you and his purpose. For I have many people uh, in this city. Uh, and that by itself it is an entire sermon, just um, just our memory verse, verses 9 to 10. Uh, and this is the heart of his reinforcement of the minister's doctrine. Uh, he has reinforced uh Paul's doctrine that he is sitting on the throne. He has reinforced Paul's doctrine uh, that he is present with him. He has reinforced Paul's doctrine that part of the uh Christian's calling is to be courageous. Uh, that uh you know, as revelation as the Lord uh reveals to John and through John in the revelation of John. Uh, Christians can be summarized one way by calling them him who endures, to him who endures, to him who endures, I will give the crown of life. Uh, And that when he is casting uh, the wicked into the lake of fire, the very first uh, way that they are described as the cowardly. So he says, do not be afraid. There's an obligation of courage. There's an obligation of boldness. Speak, do not keep silent. And there's the fact, oh, I did have providence in the list. It was just out of order. <laughs> uh, there's the fact uh, also uh, not just of the the presence of Christ with him, that it is Christ who is accomplishing the ministry through him, uh, but that attacks or non-attacks come in uh, in the providence of God. No one will attack you to hurt you. Sometimes the Lord is with us and people attack us. It's not ultimately for our hurt, although we do get hurt in the process, but it's always ultimately for our good. But then there's also the fact of um, sovereign election, for I have many people in this city. Uh, There are many that Paul doesn't even know of yet. So he's had this wonderful experience that we read about the end of verse 8. And uh, Jesus appears to him and says there's a whole lot more where that came from because God is saving specific people. They're already his by election, by saving purpose, before they get saved, before they hear the gospel. They hear the gospel because they are his, and it's in his providence that they hear it. And they hear the gospel with faith because they are his, and he gives his spirit to those who are his that as they hear, they will hear with life and they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the doctrine of sovereign election is one of the most strengthening things for any ministry. Whether uh, you're encouraging one another in the Lord um, every day in this house, and then uh, especially on the Lord's Day in the household of God, you're participating in something that can't fail but must succeed because God decided to do it before the world began, and he is with you in it, doing the work to complete it. If there's any word that a weary Christian or a weary minister needs to hear, it's this wonderful word. Uh, As uh, the Lord Jesus, both in general revelation through his providence and special revelation even through the things he has to say to the Jews, which is special revelation because it's, uh, well, because it's being said by an apostle to some extent, but especially because it is according to the word of God. And then the special revelation of Jesus uh, appearing to him. All of those things um, are reinforcements of the doctrines that sustain his ministry. Uh, And... Uh, the Lord brings them all flooding in uh, with this extraordinary result. Verse, uh, where are we? 11. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And what's the implication? That the many that Jesus was talking about in verse 10 were being saved throughout that time and uh, that the many of verse 8 and the many of verse 10 who were saved were growing throughout that time. Uh, And so he reinforces the ministry by rising the minister's spirit, by reinforcing the minister's doctrine. Uh, And then uh, the uh, end uh, of a year and a half, uh, Paul uh, when uh, Gallio is proconsul of Asia, rather, uh, the the remaining Jews unite against Paul. The Jews are a permitted religion, and they want to make sure that Gallio knows that uh, Christianity is an unpermitted religion. That they're not actually Jews, so they're hoping that they can use the roman uh law pressure uh to exterminate uh the christians uh, uh, but god rules and overrules in all things uh, and he restrains uh his opponents uh we're not actually sure how far into the year and six months um Verse 12 is, it seems like verse 12 through 17 is something that happens during the year and six months uh, in verse 11. <laughs> um, so the good the good while in the beginning of verse 18 um, uh, is whatever part of the year and six months continues uh, after this example. But here's an example uh, of what Jesus meant when he said, I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. Uh, That he is the same God as the God of Joseph, who intends good and does good, even when men intend evil and do evil. He rules and overrules the free choices of men, that there are two wills that are operative uh, at any one time. And so the Jews think uh, that they have found the legal footing on which they're going to get Rome to do their dirty work through Gallio. But Gallio decides that they're bothering him with unimportant things, drives them from the judgment seat, and the Greeks, taking their cue from their proconsul, beat the synagogue ruler who has replaced Crispus, this man named Sosthenes, and beat him in front of the judgment seat, uh, right there where Gallio is, and uh, he completely overlooks the beating uh, of this synagogue ruler. Uh, And so it's a reminder that whatever restraining of the opponents of the gospel is necessary for the saving of the elect, God will do. And when we pray to be delivered and when we pray for persecution to end, and when we pray for the the degradation of our culture to end, or the progression of tyranny by our government to end, we can know with absolute certainty that whatever restraining of the enemies of his servants is necessary for the saving of the elect, God is doing. His salvation is never in danger. Their salvation is never in doubt. He is restraining the minister's opponents. And so we know that if we are led as sheep to the slaughter and are killed all day long, as Paul says at the end of Romans 8, that it is for his sake that we are killed all day long. And if we are loving not our lives, even unto death, we are overcoming by the word of his power, or by the word of his testimony, and the blood of the Lamb, as Revelation 12 describes. And isn't that the point of so much of the book of Revelation? That as not only nations rage and kings and rulers plot, but even as all of hell rages and plots it can't do anything to stop the saving of the elect now, just as it certainly won't be able to do anything to stop the victory of the Lamb upon his return. And so this I am with you that he gives Paul is true for every Christian at every time. You may not know how many elect are around you, Jesus has not appeared to us to tell us how many he has in this city. But you know that he is with you. And you know that it's his hand that is restraining the evil. In part because the world still exists. If he wasn't restraining evil, we would have destroyed ourselves a long time ago. Uh, And how encouraging that must have been. whatever time it takes place in the year and six months, um, when Paul doesn't even have to make his own defense, right? Verse 14, Paul has thought about how he's going to respond to these charges. He's probably got his speech planned. He may even want to evangelize Gallio, probably does. That's the way he works. But he doesn't get to say anything because the Lord's providence is running ahead of him to do whatever is necessary for the salvation of the elect. Oh, how encouraged we should be. who our Savior is, and may he bless us to sustain our spirits, each of us in our own callings, by applying pressure to our spirits, especially through the help of our brethren, by reinforcing all of these truths uh, that we know about Jesus and about what God is doing, what Jesus is doing uh, in the world at this time, and especially uh, the fact that we keep seeing it. Uh, we don't just know them as abstractions, but we know that he is restraining all of his and our enemies. Praise God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bless to us your word, that even this devotional, this time together as a house in your word would stir up our spirits towards you uh, and that we would be Uh, strengthened and sustained each of us in our callings. Uh, Lord, I pray for myself in my uh, particular calling that you would not allow me to grow weary or discouraged. Thank you for the reminder even of uh, how much is involved in and declared at a Christian baptism uh, of all of these things. And I pray that you would um, help me to uh, improve and apply uh, my own baptism uh, for the sake of my strengthening and sustaining in the ministry. pray for my dear wife uh, as you have given her such a significant hand in the discipling and training of these children whom you have set apart from the world as yours. Uh, and many of whom we have already seen the fruit uh, of your working faith in them. Uh, we pray, Lord, uh, to see that fruit in Sophia. We thank you for the good hope that you are already working upon her heart and in her mind. And we ask that we might see that uh, devotion to you with the light and hear that profession of faith in Christ uh, from her uh, before much longer. Uh, Pray, Lord, for the children, uh, as the things that are their calling in life often uh, seem distasteful, as their interactions uh, often uh, reveal uh, greater interest in entertainment or in rivalry, uh, then, in stirring one another up uh, to know you and love you uh, together to enjoy your world as your world and to serve you in it, help them, O oh Lord, uh, to uh, view their learning in school, their serving under mom in the home, uh, and their uh, ministry to one another as primary callings from you increase their commitment to what you have called them to do in the various ways that we have heard about you renewing our zeal and sustaining our zeal uh, in this passage. Uh, And Lord, we pray for our entire congregation and your church more broadly. How very much we we as churches, as your church, visible church, need the restoration of zeal and the sustaining of ministry. And so help us, O Lord, by your Spirit as you helped the Apostle in Corinth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.